Hey, Chicago! Woo! Three titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome to another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, deputy editor and overall podcast editor and a bunch of other stuff here for uh, secondcityhockey.com. With me tonight, I've got my two usual line mates. First off, it is the analytics darling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Hi, I'm also Dominique Kubelik, Calder, Calder finalist, biggest fan. Okay, I was like, I thought you were just going to stop at you are Dominic Kubelik, which would be an interesting no. development. Just his biggest fan. You're just a big fan. That's fair. He, he had a really good season. Uh, excited that he got nominated for the Calder. No chance in hell he's going to win, right? No chance at all. It's, it's going to be one of the two defensemen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other voice with us tonight, our usual guy. He is Blackhawks team president Danny Wirtz's favorite account to follow on Twitter. It is Brandon Kane. I'm in the best shape of my life. What can I say? You and everybody else in the NHL who hasn't been on a rink in four months. Exactly. I feel like I fit in. Yeah, perfect. It's the exact same. You are in Gordon Beckham shape. You you spent the offseason, you know, working on some things. You you think you really figured out what's been the problem the last few seasons. And you worked on it, and you fixed it, and now you got in the best shape of your life, and you're really excited to prove all the doubters wrong from the last eight seasons of your White Sox career. I, I miss the false hope that was Gordon Beckham. I, I adored Gordon Beckham so much. His rookie season, when he showed up at like the midpoint of the season and had like 30 doubles in the second half, and everybody yeah. just assumed he was going to be one of your middle infielders for the next decade. Uh, remember when him and uh, why am I Alexi Ramirez, right? Yeah, we're like, I think I, we're the one-two punch. Yeah, the idea was that him and Alexi were going to be your middle infield for the next for all of the 2010s. Didn't quite well, out that no, way. One no. half of that did. Alexi Ramirez was really good. I miss Alexi yeah. Ramirez a lot. Anyway, hockey exists. It does. Hockey actually exists again. Well, I mean. Yeah, you know what? It, it's training camp. We can call this actual hockey. Um, as we've been talking about for a month now, uh, it's actually happened. The Blackhawks opened training camp on Monday, and they've had three days of practice. I believe Thursday's an off day, right, Brandon? That is correct. That is correct. So we've had three days of actual Blackhawks hockey to talk about. And, of course, all of the excitement and enthusiasm that was building around the Blackhawks because they – got included in this playoff format that they probably don't deserve to be in, but they're here anyway. And then first damn day of practice and we get hit with Corey Crawford unfit to play, which I don't know about you guys, but the idea that Corey Crawford is not going to play with this team in the series against Edmonton takes my excitement for it from about an, somewhere maybe uh, in the 70 to 80 range down to about 10 because without Corey Crawford, playing in net, I have very little hopes about the this Blackhawks team winning one game against Edmonton, let alone three out of five. And we can get more into the details of that, of why later. We would like to specify with, we don't know for a fact that Crawford is yes. out for the series. However, yes. 
Um, Brandon's been in a few of the press calls that have happened with various members of the Blackhawks organization and players in the last few days, and several reporters have hinted this on Twitter. There just seems to be this reading between the lines assumption from everybody involved that whatever it is that is up with Crawford is going to keep him from playing in two weeks. So since that seems to be the general consensus, that's kind of what we're going off of. Obviously that is all subject to change because with this unfit to play moniker that the NHL developed, we really, no one knows what the hell's going on except for maybe Corey Crawford and the people in the organization. So Shepard Price, given all of that, uh, your thoughts and reactions to the Corey Crawford news. Okay. So the new CBA's extension, like one of the rules they had to put that in place was that the unfit to play has to apply for this for all, like only this plan. Yeah. I, I, I believe that's the rule. I don't think it applies next season, uh, whenever yeah, that I, starts in I, January 2021, but I it applies for this plan around. Yeah, I believe it's associated with the HIPAA laws of privacy, the, the individual privacy of people's health condition, I guess. Right. I don't exactly know what HIPAA laws are. I just I know they come up from time to time, and you're basically not always privy to information about people's health, except when they're public yeah. figures like professional athletes. Uh, so we don't know if he'll if he'll join the two, the team in two weeks, and they're not, they're like being sheepish right now because uh, of cir- current circumstances, um, or if he like has a more serious injury we didn't know about when the team left the ice in March. But I didn't even think about that. I, yeah, I guess that's one possibility. I mean, you don't <laughs> if he had something that was affecting him in March, and we're in July and it's still affecting him. That must be one hell of an injury to not be reported, but. Yeah. yeah, I guess that is a possibility. I mean, look at Seabrook. Seabrook had three surgeries that like nobody knew about uh, in January. Well, um, no, like w- when they said he was well, when he, I guess, yeah, when they pulled him off the ice and said, "Hey, he's going to go have three surgeries, and we'll see him next year." I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and nobody had any idea because he was playing through it the entire time. Right. Okay. I got what you're saying. So I mean, there could there, there that could be a thing. But yeah, uh, what did if, you think when you when you heard the news and and I guess the implication that he's not going to be around? If he is out for the is out for the series, uh, everywhere I'm I might be on Twitter for the actual lottery this year, <laughs> um, because the Blackhawks might just have a chance of getting Lafreniere or in my in my esteemed option, uh, trading back with Ottawa for three and five and getting two potentially better players. Corey Crawford is this team right now. Yeah. Uh, especially with Robin, especially with Robin Leonard in Vegas, Corey Crawford just is this team. Um, mm-hmm. As we were talking about before the podcast, they, this defense that Sam Bowman assembled this summer is atrocious, except for like Connor Murphy and maybe <laughs> Adam Boquist, surprisingly, and maybe Adam Boquist. Um, like, and that's what one, like talking about the penalty kill, like, as we have on the site recently. Uh, that's one of the things, that's one of the other th- factors that makes it surprising that they were so good is that that's the only time the Blackhawks have played defense this season. And we're not entirely convinced that it wasn't just the goalies bailing their asses out. Although maybe, or maybe just, a goalie. Maybe the system that they use during the PK is just so much better than the system that they use on five and five. Obviously you're not using the same system because it's a totally different situation. But right. Maybe they could be. I don't know. Maybe they could start. <laughs> uh, another another weird sort of ask for Mark Crawford to be the coach instead, yeah. uh, which I was not expecting to make in October. 
Yeah, and and just part of the issue with without Crawford, I mean, if Robin Leonard was still around, obviously you just play Leonard. Yes. I don't want to get into the revisionist history of now your people saying they should have kept Leonard. If you keep Robin Leonard, you're going to have him for this Edmonton series, even if they and then when they lose, you're not going to have Robin Leonard because the Blackhawks can't afford him. They traded him before they before this pandemic started, and we found out that the salary cap is staying flat for the next season at least. So they already don't know how they're going to sign Dylan Strom and or Dominic Kubalik in the offseason. So I don't know how you're going to throw Robin Leonard into that mix as well. So I'm not I'm not going down the revisionist history path. There's no point. But the problem is without Crawford, you have a you pick your unproven goal. You have an unproven Colin Delia, an unproven Malcolm Subban, an unproven Kevin Lankinen, and Matt Tompkins is in the mix, but I feel like he's the longest of long shots. So, uh, yeah, I, I just no, – yeah. no, none of those names are going to inspire the confidence that Corey Crawford does, especially with how bad the defense is, has been in front of the goalies this season. Brandon, yeah, you've been awfully quiet. What do you think? So last week during the end of – Phase two voluntary workouts. Seabrook was shown, and then there was like a day where there wasn't any news. I think I have that right. And then Keith was shown on Friday, and right as Keith was shown on Friday, and there was no news about Crawford, I flipped through all the photos that the team had and realized Crawford was there. And I was like, well, he's not going to be there for at least the first week. But then after listening to these media calls and seeing the reaction from players and hearing it as they kind of tiptoe around the Crawford situation, it's a very like, I don't know, or I probably know, but I can't say situation. And it's the same thing with Colleton where the first day he said unfit to play, now he's changed his tune and said unfit to participate. Yeah, he, I did hear unfit to participate the other day. So that makes me think that maybe there is the silver lining that this is through the first week or week and a half of training camp. But then by the time August 1st comes, Crawford might be ready. <coughs> Fingers crossed. When, yeah. But then Subban made it sound like today, like, hey, whatever, dude. Like, I'm the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak. You know, like, I got to take advantage of it. It would seem like just by the the way the team was at, as when we last left them with Subban being at the NHL level, he would be the front runner in the race. Although I feel like it's probably close to neck and neck between him and Colin Delia because – Subban's hasn't ever really like grabbed anybody's attention with his performance in the last few seasons. And Shepard, we're going to come back to you to talk about Subban a little bit. But Colin Delia did play with the Blackhawks at the NHL level in the prior season, had some good moments, had some bad moments, what you'd expect out of a guy playing in his first season, but they're both 26 years old. They're both unproven at the NHL level. So I feel like it's probably down to those two guys. Lankinen might sneak into the conversation, and he did have the big run to the World Cup with Team Finland a few years ago, but I don't know if I'm going to put – I don't know how much confidence that's going to inspire because there's the World Cup of Hockey and then there's the NHL, and I think I don't have to tell you which one's more difficult to play goalie in, but 
so there is something. But before we go anywhere else, I, I just want to reiterate how important goaltending has been for the Blackhawks this season, how crucial Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford were to this team's success because we were talking about this before we came on the air. I was I did a big article today. It's at secondcityhockey.com. There's a wonderful, wonderful number munchers themed logo designed on it that Brad Replinger, RIP, not really RIP, but our former colleague did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I hope he's listening. He didn't die. He didn't die. But anyway, Brad designed for us. And it's got all these stats of detailing how bad the Blackhawks were. And if you just do just straight like the percentages of of all these metrics that they have in natural statric, none of them are good. Like the highest the Hawks rank is 18. If you go down to the rate st- column, so these are all the stats that I found. And these are all on a per, basically a per 60-minute basis. So it's shot attempts against, goals against, expected goals against, scoring chances against, high danger chances against, and shots against. They are ranked 25th, 22nd, and then in these last four categories, they're the worst in the league. So four out of six of these possession stats tell me the Blackhawks were the worst at preventing shots, chances, and everything against them. So it seems like the goal is pretty important. And the guys that they have now are all vastly unproven. But uh, really quickly, I did want to get an opinion from Shepard on Malcolm Subban because you wrote an article about this. I think we've referenced it a few times at the website. I don't know if we talked about it here, but you said there's a very unique and special circumstance where Malcolm Subban has actually been better and he might actually get that scenario if he becomes the number one goalie. So can you explain that a little bit, Shepard? Yeah. So Malcolm Subban has good numbers uh, in a very specific circumstance, which is when he's played within a week of his last start, which is not like usually what backups do. And it's not how he was used by Gerard Gallant. Um, most times in Vegas, but he is like in a playoff series games two and three and four and five, he could potentially be a surprising X factor for the Blackhawks. Um, But like game one, as with like, I think probably every single person who's playing in the playoff rounds, playing rounds, game one's going to be bad. Um, (laughs) But I think, I think that's fair to expect again of every single player. I think Connor McDavid's going to be bad in game one. Um, he'll be so, bad because not as this way. He'll be bad because David comes up his ass the whole night. But like, I'm, I'm, unless no Subban is like the starter from from the get go, and he plays against uh, what we're playing St. Louis, right? Exhibition, yeah, the Blackhawks yeah. exhibition game is against the Blues. Yeah, yeah. So if he's if he plays St. Louis and then he plays Edmonton, like within a week of that, I think he might be fine. Because again, he does he does have like actually like competent numbers. If he's acting, if they if they're playing him like a starter, because he's when he's filled in for uh, an injured Mark Andre Fleury, he's been actually like the backbone of the team at times. He it, or he, was in Vegas. He has won three of his last four starts. Well, three of he's won his last three starts because he he came on in one game and made five saves in a loss. So I'm guessing that's one where he played the third period after the starter got yanked. But his last three starts in Vegas were all wins. So, granted, yeah. uh, I'm seeing. Uh, save percentages in all of those games are under 900. So that doesn't right. inspire a ton of confidence, but you never know. I, I really, I have no idea what to expect out of Malcolm Subban and, and more to the bigger point, kind of what you were talking about earlier, Shepard is I don't know what to expect from anybody in this series. Like, like you said, game one, especially game one's going to be so weird. It's going to be a complete crapshoot. 
even if the Blackhawks are playing Scott Foster in net, I, I could see either team winning that game. It's, it's a total flip of the coin based on who just finds their legs first, I guess. I, I don't really know how to handicap the first game when this is a, a circumstance that I don't think anybody will ever experience again in the NHL. So I have no idea of what to expect that first game. I think it's, it's like games like two, three, four, and five. Things will settle down a lot more. And maybe we'll get a. Maybe that's when Edmonton's talent, i.e., it's Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, will rise to the top, and the Blackhawks' porous defense will sink to the bottom. But if the Blackhawks can steal Game One, get some early momentum, then you never know. Um, that that's my most optimistic take. Every other take I have is involved their defense giving up ninety six thousand chances, and they're not going anywhere. But then on the other side of the coin, you could also see Patrick Kane just deciding. I'm going to win this game myself and do that. There's like, and if you gave me any reasonable scenario of what would happen in game one, I would listen to it. Because how, how are we supposed to expect anything different? A 2 p.m. game on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's a 2 p.m. game on a Saturday afternoon when these guys are used to playing night games. Yeah. Just to make it a I, little bit more weird. Remember that game against the Flyers in Prague? I'm fully expecting it to look like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I and 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 so it's their first game in five months. Uh, yeah, by that point it'll be about five months. Were They're you talking about the Saturday. game against the Flyers or the game against the? Oh German? no, I'm, I'm talking about the upcoming game. It'll be their first game in five months on a Saturday afternoon at two o'clock in an empty stadium. I mean, it won't be their first game because again, St. Louis. Well, but that's an exhibition game. It doesn't count. This will be their first real like game that matters. Quote matters. I, I'm just, I'm just telling you. I, I'm, I'm letting everybody know that's listening to this. Embrace the weird. It's gonna get weird. I, I don't, I don't expect anything to be normal. I also love the exhibition games are heavily rivalry based. Yeah. Because Blackhawks Blues and then the Oilers are faced are facing the Flames, so it's like, hey, let's see who really can come out of this. <laughs> Do you think there's gonna be any fights in any of those games? That would be my favorite part if they have these exhibition games and one of them ends with a line brawl just because they went so rivalry-based. I could see Kajula throwing down. Because <laughs> like, he got hurt in the last game against the Blues. So did Boquist. That's true. That's true. That I forgot. All right, so there we go. Now we got blood scores to settle in an exhibition game. That'll be fun. And then Mike, Mike Smith just standing at center ice waiting to get involved. Yeah, and Alex Steen will be there, so somebody will need to punch Alex Steen in the face because his face asks. For it. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I was tweeting with someone on today. And I, 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 one thing I kind of miss from sports is having sports hate, because like I, I don't outside of sports, like, I don't really hate anything. I don't, I don't really get to that level anymore. I just, it's, I just don't care now. But when it comes to sports. Oh, it's so much fun to hate things in sports because it's kind of, you know, it's, it doesn't really mean much. So I missed hating the St. Louis Blues, and I might start having a reason to hate the Edmonton Oilers. I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate Zach Cashin in about two and a half weeks. Fairly confident in that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I, he, I, I was preparing <clears throat> to hate Milan Lucic even more than I already do, but I forgot they traded him to Calgary. So he's yeah. the Flames problem now. So is Eric Gustafson. It's the place where bad trades go to die. <laughs> there you go. If they want to send, uh, you know, Johnny Goudreau to Chicago, we can 
work yes, something out. Yes, please. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for that. Meanwhile, while we're on the subject of trades, Calvin DeHaan was a new Blackhawk acquired via trade in the last offseason. And he has also had a minor – well, he, he's also had a reason that he's not been at practice. His was a family emergency, um, details of which obviously are not very well known. And the situation with him seems different from the situation with Crawford, as it sounds like DeHaan will be back at some point, you hope. But on the hypothetical situation that DeHaan does not hang around or isn't able to get back for – any number of reasons, because there's a lot of reasons that he could not come back. Um, for either one of you guys, how would Calvin DeHaan's absence further hinder this team? Uh, unpopular opinion time. Uh, looking at his stats, it would not hinder the team at all to have Slater Cuckoo playing instead with Olimata and, and then have Connor Murphy babysit Brent Seabrook. Um, because, unfortunately, I don't think <clears throat> Jeremy Colleton's smart enough to play Lucas Carlson over Brent Seabrook. And, and I, I think Stan Bowman's going to force him to play Brooke Seabrook. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a personal advocate that the, like, figure it out. Like I know, figure it out. I know Brando Brand is going to say that they play the same position then they play the same side, but the top pairing should be Murphy and Boquist. Dehan, I don't think, I don't think, I, I think Dehan being around is fine. I don't want him and Brent Seabrook being the middle pairing. Um, but uh, I would rather have him play with Connor Murphy. But uh, having him gone is perfectly fine too, because again, Slater Cuckoo gets to play. He's good. I would. I. I. I'm sorry. I have a hard time envisioning any scenario where I want Calvin DeHaan. Or I want Slater Cuckoo in over Calvin DeHaan. I, he I, I and Oli Mata were one of, I think, one of the best third pairings in the league this year. They are a fully competent third pairing. I don't give a, a shit. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't give a shit what the numbers say. I, they they were visually offensive to <laughs> watch <laughs> them. They, <laughs> they are, to me, both analytically and in terms of the eye oh. test. Oh, the holy eye test. So much better oh. than DeHaan and Seabrook are as are, are as. Oh, well, I don't think DeHaan and Seabrook should be together. That That's a bad pairing. That you have... You you have one Seabrook was a guy who needed surgery, so he couldn't move very well. And Calvin DeHaan's speed has never been his game. So why would you put those guys together? I, I didn't I didn't pay attention to this because I I'm out of midseason form, so I haven't been obsessing over line pairings at practice. But I noticed the D pairing they had was Connor Murphy with Nicholas Bowden. That seems interesting because Connor Murphy's playing. I don't think we have any question about that. And so if he's practicing with Nicholas Bowden on his other side. I don't know if he's occupying the space that was vacated by DeHaan, and then when DeHaan comes back, he'll be back with Murphy, but that seemed like an interesting situation to me. Am I reading too much into this, Brandon? Yeah, because oh, okay. Got uh, my Bowden was uh, also with the taxi squad, so he was pulling double duty. Okay, never <clears throat> mind. So like all those those. I'm, I'm just gonna edit this all out later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not really. Go on, Brandon. I'm sorry. So yeah, Mata and Cuckoo, and then they were flipped around, and Bowden was with Cuckoo the first day, and then the second day he was with Murphy. So yeah, those I, two flip flopped, but Bowden and Carlson are obviously much much better skaters than 
how many practices do we have to wait for before we can start getting <coughs> upset about line pairings? I mean, depending on how much you give a shit, probably day <laughs> one. <laughs> I, I guess maybe we'll have to wait till the exhibition game. Or maybe, maybe next week. Maybe next week if there's like a consistent theme, a consistent line, uh, you know, top two. Well, the forward lines points. have stayed the same. Okay. So, so I, we'll figure out if we can start getting annoyed with those. I haven't. I, I, if, if they are staying, staying the same, I'm annoyed with them. Because what do you mean? What do you mean, Dominique Kubelik and Jonathan Taves, the best player Taves has had on his wing since Marianosa? Dominique Kubelik's not playing there. What the hell is that? All right, there you go. Because Kajula fucks around. There we go. Now we're back in it. Dominique Kubelik is a first line winger. I don't understand how there's an argument against that. I just don't like scoring thirty goals, averaging twelve minutes a game. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I like having with no power play time really. I don't know if I like having Nylander on a line with Patrick Kane. I feel like you're wasting Patrick Kane's ability on Alex Nylander. Like, well, Nylander and Dylan Strom are pals. They cool. play well together. So is Alex DeBrincat. Yeah, so Strom and DeBrincat. <laughs> I you can't have four guys on a line. No, but you can have Alex DeBrincat, Dylan Strom, and Patrick Kane on a line. Yeah, but you still need Nylander to have on the some offensively line. gifted players on his line. Yeah, they have those on the taxi squad, don't they? Nope. <laughs> they're they're really going to make this Nylander thing happen, aren't they? They're trying they to. Should. I I I want it. I want him to be good because it seems like it's all there. His brother's so good, and his dad was pretty good. His dad had a couple really really good seasons. I think one his best one was in Washington. But it's like like you said, like it's all there. Like just I we gave you all the pieces to the puzzle. Just sit down, put it together, and it'll be, it'll look really cool. I mean, like, but look at other brothers of, of great players because Brent Gretzky didn't do anything. Yeah, I guess everyone – there's got to be a Cooper Manning in every family. Hey, he can do, like, accounting and some stuff. <laughs> cool. Apparently he was the best of all three, so. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Cooper – Yeah, eat that, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, every family's got to have a Dwayne Sutter. There we go. I'll bring it to hockey. <laughs> Dwayne. <laughs> That's yeah, a weird name, anyway. Dwayne would, I must, uh, maybe it's a D U A N E Dwayne. It's a very weird Dwayne. I believe it is a Canadian thing. Well, Wayne, yeah, they're Wayne. Canadian. I, I guess it would be like it, the heritage would have to trace back further from Canada. What the hell are we talking about? There's actual hockey. This is very much an April tangent. Why are we doing this in July when there's hockey happening? Scrimmage. Training camp hockey. Okay. I guess we don't have any actual games yet. Well, I'll tell you what. We're we're gonna take a time out here. We're gonna regroup. We're gonna get get water. Maybe get rediscover the best shape of our lives that we're all in right now. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about a couple signings the Blackhawks have had, and then another one that they might make in a few days. So come on back on the other side of this timeout and hear all about that. Hey everyone, a real quick PSA for this upcoming segment. We recorded this podcast on Wednesday night and Thursday morning as I'm editing it. The news broke that the Blackhawks officially signed Pia Suter to a one-year deal. So what you're about to hear happened while that signing was still in the hypothetical stages because news travels faster than podcasts can sometimes. Uh, We also learned this morning that we were saying his first name wrong. Sorry about all that. We'll uh, try and do better next time. Back to the pod. 
Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. And as promised before the break, we wanted to talk about really quickly about a few signings that the Blackhawks, well, I guess only one signing that they've actually made, or two. Uh, we're going to talk about signings. First off, finally, after a couple years of speculation, maybe some mild concern that it wasn't going to happen, um, and some doubt that it, it, he might go the Kevin Hayes route, Ian Mitchell has finally signed with the Chicago Blackhawks, ending months and, like I said, almost a few years of speculation at this point. And I'm excited about it because I'm excited that it finally guarantees we're going to see him in a Blackhawks uniform at some point. Unfortunately, that will not be during the upcoming series against the Edmonton Oilers as he was not eligible to play for that and his contract will not start until next season, which helps the Blackhawks a ton because – as you may have heard on these airways before, they're kind of screwed financially. So, Brandon Kane, your reaction to Ian Mitchell finally officially becoming a part of the Blackhawks organization? He said he was going to sign, and he did. That's Good night, I everybody. <coughs> he was I, – I will credit Ian Mitchell every time he was asked about it. He said, my intention is to sign. He never wavered from that commitment. So I, I think if the Kevin all your Hayes, speculation was stupid, I think the Kevin Hayes situation, if that had not happened, nobody would have doubted Ian Mitchell was going to sign with the Blackhawks. I think, I think Kevin Hayes, when that all happened, I think part of it was, I'm not even sure I realized you could do that as a team as is not just not sign and then become a free agent after three years, and obviously it tends to happen more with college players than players who are up in the juniors in Canada. But, um, yeah, Shepard, what about you? Any other burning thoughts on Ian Mitchell? I think it's like the Dylan Sakura uh, t- case where, like, Sakura the whole way was saying, like, I'm going to be a Blackhawk, I'm going to be a Blackhawk. Um, and, like, he was a Blackhawk. Uh, I wish he was a better player so that he overshadowed Hayes so that we'd have a more – because he's he is more recent that he'd be like, yeah, okay, we have to trust these players. Because um, now we have two examples of that, and hopefully Ian Mitchell's a better player than – Dylan Sakura unfortunately turned out to be, but uh, I'm excited too about next year because I want to see who he plays with and if he plays the opposite side of Adam Boquist so we can finally give Connor Murphy somebody to play with. There you go. I'm, I, I think it's trying to temper expectations. Like because he came from the university of Denver, like there's like Kale McCarr is the most recent player that's come from. He was at Denver, right? Kale McCarr. I'm not an no. idiot. No, you are. He, he no, I am UMass. an idiot. Oh yeah, you're right. He was he, he was a UMass Amherst, right? Oh, damn it! I don't know where I was going, but there was I, a I, really I, good player who came from Denver. Okay. Oh, uh, Will Butcher. There you go. Okay. Troy well, Terry. Will Butcher is like a third line power play specialist, if I remember correctly. For your New Jersey Devils. That's right. A team who we're we're told that some people think is not very good. But anyway. Unless you're Connor Kerr, then you're a saint. Okay. Nicest guy in the world. Okay. I love Connor Kerr. I'm, I'm glad we had the Connor Kerr discussion on this podcast. But anyway, back to Ian Mitchell. I, I think I'm, I'm trying to temper the expectation for him because he's been – like he was not a number eight overall, number seven overall pick. Like he was picked in the second round. He's been very, very good in college. So I don't want to diminish his abilities, but – I don't want 
I'm trying not to expect him to be Adam Boquist. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Like, he's supposed to be a very good, solid, reliable player. Like, maybe work his way into the top four. He may not walk in to be the number one defenseman that – I don't know if anybody's putting those expectations on him, but there's been so much talk about Ian Mitchell for so long. It, it feels like there's some hype that can be built bigger than what he's actually supposed to be. I don't think he's ever been projected as, like, a Duncan Keith type. But if he just, you know, middle of the pack, you can't all be number one defensemen. You got to have some two, threes, and fours in there as well. So if Ian Mitchell can just be a top four guy, that's exactly what the Blackhawks need. He's like a smaller and better skater than Jacob Slavin. Yeah. I uh, that's a lot of pressure on him uh, as somebody who loves Jacob Slavin. Uh, yeah, I saw somebody make a Jacob Slavin comparison, some analytics account, and – if he comes anywhere near Jacob Slavin, Hawks are in great shape. Yeah, if he if he's anywhere close to the defenseman Jacob Slavin is, like yeah. he, Slavin. So Slavin doesn't put never put up like huge offensive numbers, but like he's he's probably the best offensive defenseman in the league. So. Yeah. So yeah, again, if he and Mitchell and comes just close, a good guy. I, I hope Josiah Slavin is just as good as Jacob. I. That's not happening. I but. doubt it. <laughs> what, sixth, seventh-round pick? I, I, yeah, he may not quite. He's a seventh-round pick. He's a tall kid. Oh, good for him. Well, it, I'm, it works for some people. Well, Living him. life at Colorado College with Havlin as the head coach. Oh, yeah, that's right. Forgot about that. Hey, speaking of college players, the Blackhawks signed another guy last week. They signed, and I'm going to say this name wrong, Wyatt Kalanuk. Go with it. Yeah, there we go. Wyatt Kalanuk. Signed out of Wisconsin. He was described uh, – I, I saw a lot of Nick Letty comparisons, which I'd take another Nick Letty. Nick Letty was a perfectly competent NHL defenseman, obviously more offensively oriented than defense, but there's nothing wrong with that because the Blackhawks could use defensemen who can skate and contribute on the offensive end of the ice. Um, 23 years old, just finished up at Wisconsin. He's had at least 25 points in each of his last three seasons with Wisconsin. He was one of the – he was a seventh-round pick of the Flyers in 2017 and never signed with Philadelphia, then came to the Blackhawks. Uh, coach uh, Tony Granato was coaching at Wisconsin, and he's a – and Granato used to coach with the Blackhawks. I, I forgot. There's like 19 Granados, and they're all in hockey. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I don't know, if Brandon Shepard, if you guys have any burning Wyatt Kalanuk thoughts, but, I mean – not bad to add an – it can never hurt to add another guy to the pool. Worst case scenario, he helps Rockford, right? I, I see that's where he's going. Oh, you you don't think he's got an NHL career? I mean, he might, but, like, right out of the shoot. Oh, Maybe yeah, I'm not, I'm not suggesting he's going to walk in and become an NHL-level player, but <clears throat> he's better than Chad Chris. All right, but Chad Chris has been with the organization for like three or four years and hasn't really done anything, so. Chad Chris's career with the Blackhawks peaked during the day he was drafted, and he was like the smiley boy. Wow, I didn't expect so much Chad Chris talk today. Chad Chris got passed by Dennis Gilbert. I think that's enough Chad Chris talk. I forget. Like, Dennis Gilbert's another guy that I thought we might – hear about or see him mentioned as a potential I think there was guy. something that happened there because he was there for phase two workouts. 
You yeah, can't I, you can't miss him in photos. Oh yeah, he's a very large individual. But yeah, like there's been I, like all the tweets from reporters talking about D pairings and everything. Like he's like pretty much been taxi squad the entire time. Like no one. No, he's not even there. Oh, he's not even there. Right, he wasn't on the roster. Oh yeah, damn. Has he has 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 anybody been been asked about Tex Gilbert? No. Well, what the mm-hmm. hell, Brandon? What are you doing? In yeah, what? Yeah, Brandon, what are you doing, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing Brandon? We'll we'll see. Okay. Yeah, work work on your inside sources, would you? Uh, I'll. Quit I'll making... see what I can do. Okay. I, I do know that <laughs> Gilbert had the most. Uh, how do I say this? Friday Night Lights esque gym setup at home. Or it was just like a bench, a bar, and a bunch of weights, and he was just throwing it around. Well, he's posting not- one day on Instagram, and I was just like, "That's so Dennis Gilbert." <laughs> just be like, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm going in the garage and lifting weights." Like, it's just him. It's great. Like, hey, wake up the echoes. Yeah, just like, yep, this is me. Like, hey, he you know what? Doesn't give a shit, and it's so funny. Maybe like, that's just him. Maybe he's going to audition to be a linebacker for the Bears in the, in the winter, <clears throat> whenever the NFL starts. <laughs> hey, maybe talk to you know, I don't know, Zibikowski. Maybe became friends. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe him and Tommy will go boxing somewhere. <laughs> uh, anyway, again, another we're, we're taking off on another tangent down roads that making references to players only Brandon and I know as the Notre Dame fans on this podcast. But one other player that the Blackhawks are reportedly, quote, in the mix for, his name is Pius Suter. We've been Googling it to try and figure out how to pronounce that. We think we're saying it right. We might be wrong. But he is not related to former Blackhawk Gary Suter or current Minnesota Wild defenseman Ryan Suter. Uh, He's been playing in the Swiss League. He put up some very good numbers last season, numbers that you would say are Dominic Kubalik-esque because he's the leading scorer in the National League in Switzerland, and I think he's – or it was just this season. He was just the leading scorer this season because last season it was Dominic Kubelik, who then came to the Blackhawks. So they figured, why not go for another leading scorer from the Swiss National League? Brandon, do you know anything else about this guy? Or he Shepard, good either in, one of you guys? He looked good in Champions League games that I saw, and I know he was – at least an invitee to training camps for the Senators and Islanders in 2017 and 2018, respectively. Yeah, so he was at. He was he's at, had like an eye on him from NHL teams in the past. Yeah, he played with the Guelph Storm in the OHL from 2013 <coughs> to 2015. Was invited to the Senators rookie camp in 2017, but didn't work out. He went back to Switzerland. He's been playing there ever since, and he'd been kind of quiet in that league and then this year he just went off and he's he's 24 years old so still has plenty of hockey left in his legs and he scored uh scored 30 goals with 23 assists and last season Kubelik had 25 goals and 32 assists so right on par with what Kubelik did it seemed like from what I was able to gather from the scouting reports and the video highlights is he seems like he has very good hockey sense very much a right place, right time, always type of guy with the hands to finish when he gets there. So the Blackhawks, obviously, again, very much strapped by the salary cap. So anywhere they can find cheap talent that they can get on their roster that can produce at the NHL level, 
they will seek it out. And so signing guys like Wyatt Kalanuck or signing Ian Mitchell to a three-year entry-level deal or perhaps chasing after Pius Suter from Switzerland, this is all things the Blackhawks are going to have to do if they're going to survive the next couple of seasons with the salary cap not going anywhere and not getting a buyout so they can get out from under Brent Seabrook's contract. I, I, I'll just say this about Suter. I think he's what I expect Nicholas Nord, Nordgren to become, a recent Blackhawks draft. E, that sort of, like you said, right place, right time, sort of great hands, the ability to do things, to get things done sort of player. I mean, if you find him, if he's no good, he can go back. To, you sign him for one or two-year deal, and he might just leave and go back to Europe. It doesn't work out fine. Or um, – The Jacob Nielsen project. Yeah, there you go. And if he, if he is good and ends up like, you know, if he has a breakout season in the NHL as a Blackhawk, either you sign him to a long-term contract or you trade him and get more picks prospects that are cheaper. So it's, it seems like a low-risk, high-reward type of situation for the Blackhawks. And, again, this is, this is what they have to do. This is the hand that they're dealt with right now. They need draft picks to develop, and they need young, cheap players from Europe, essentially. That, that's going to be the key to their success until – some of the bigger contracts that they have are, are gone. So I think that covers all the transactional news involving the Blackhawks from the last week. We talked about Crawford and that whole situation and Calvin DeHaan. Uh, Andrew Shaw's probably not coming back for this season, and we don't know about the future. Uh, I don't know. Any, any other final thoughts about this whole thing? Uh, I don't know if you guys watched any of the scrimmage from the last day or two and had a, any burning thoughts on that. Brandon, have you seen anything from your uh, virtual perch in the virtual press box that's been assembled? Kirby Doc looks like a 19-year-old boy who is filling out his frame and is a lot more confident than he was during the season. He said he worked out a lot, and that's pretty apparent. So... I think this is a time where he's used to kind of reset things and been like, now I really can play in this league and I'm going to show it because the two guys that were picked before me sure as hell didn't. Yeah. That's what I saw a few people reference that in tweets to beat reporters that were then quote, quote tweeted or responded to, but apparently Kirby doc has looked, looked different. He looks like, what he looks like is a guy going from his rookie season into his second season. It just happens to still be his rookie season. So if that's the case, then, you know, I'm here for it because a significantly improved Kirby Doc makes the Blackhawks so much better. I mean, if Kirby Doc were to be like play his way into the top six permanently, he's kind of fluctuated between the second or third line just based off how things work out. But if you get down the middle, Taves, Strom, and Doc as your top three centers, that that's pretty damn good. There's a lot of teams that would not be able to match that. And the other thing with Doc is it's just like it seems he just needs to finish plays. Like we saw that throughout the regular season where it was like, oh, there's a glimpse. Oh, there's another one. Oh, if he just finished that, like just imagine what – that would do for his confidence. And if he gets that against the Oilers, I feel like it'd be something special to watch. I, I do remember saying a few times during the season, I think I said it to myself, and then I think I may have said it on a podcast. I, I, I'm not going to go back and listen to it because it's too much to listen to. But anyway, 
I remember saying Kirby Doc looks like he is on the cusp of a really, really cool goal. Like if you remember, this was in the we're going in the way back machine. Shepard, you might have been in high school when this happened. When Jonathan Tave scored his second career goal, it was the highlight one against the Colorado Avalanche that everybody references. And that's kind of when I, I think there was plenty of buzz about them too already, but when Tave scored that goal, that was like the holy shit, it's actually happening moment. If Kirby Doc gets a goal like that against the Oilers, <clears throat> I'm not saying he's going to turn into Jonathan Taves, but a confident 19-year-old can do a lot of things. Especially with that hair. That yeah. yeah. He, he couldn't get a haircut at some point during quarantine. <clears throat> like, no. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I mean, gonna guess his mom doesn't cut hair. I mean, <laughs> that's we were talking about this before we came on the air. That's the weirdest part is this guy, kid's a professional athlete. He's a millionaire. Well, he's probably not a millionaire yet because his entry level deal is not in the millions. But he's making a lot of money. But he's 19 years old and still living at home with his parents. He just happens to be a professional athlete. I think that that realization just kind of crystallizes. Yeah, he's he's still very much a young person. I mean, you would look at my hair, too, and, and say, he couldn't have gotten a haircut in the last four months? Because, no, I couldn't. Hey, he, he was too busy working out. He's too, hey. he's too busy working on his game. Yeah, he was too focused to even get a haircut. That's what, that's what we're going to tell ourselves. Well, we're talking about Kirby Doc's hair, so I think it's time to get the fuck away from this episode of Musings on <laughs> Any final thoughts, gentlemen? Sweet potato fries are the best fries. I disagree. Can't confirm. Can't confirm. <laughs> Okay, maybe, but fries are, are are inferior to onion rings. Ooh, nope. Uh-uh. Uh, no, it's the, hard, the hard correct pass. opinion. Onion rings are, are onion rings are superior is the correct opinion. No. Yes, I mean, onion is. rings are good. The only time I really like onion rings is when there's one or two in the bottom of my bag at Burger King. On accident. On He's accident like, when I ordered fries. The only good fry is a Portillo's cheese fry. And that's, that's how it is. <clears throat> no. 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 Yes. There's so many good fries. I have a hard time finding a bad French fry. I have a hard time finding a good one. Oh, God, Shepard. What is I, – I can't even talk to this kid anymore. <laughs> you... Oh, and now I'm going to burst your bubble. I, I, was in junior, I was in junior high school when Jonathan Bell <laughs> scores his second career goal. I was in college. Christ. Oh. oh yeah, we're going to need to end this episode. I'm going to virtually stab Shepard for making me feel old. I've been listening to the I'm Fat podcast for the last, like, week. They're so correct in so many things, and there's so many things that make me think about food that I didn't realize myself. So this is a totally unsolicited uh, uns thing. I, I just want to tell you people, if you are really a big fan of food, go listen to that podcast. Jay Zawoski does it, who everyone in the Chicago area probably knows from his work with the score, uh, Rick camp and other score producers on there with it. They talk about food all the time. It's great. And actually I'm going to submit Shepard's recommendation about, or his insane comment about bad French fries or whatever the hell we'll, we'll figure out exactly what I'm going to submit it to that show and see what they say about it. So, cause, cause they're, they're the experts at this point. We'll, we'll, we'll let them decide and we'll report back. So I think that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this very wacky and random episode of Musings on Madison. But, hey, we're getting closer to actual hockey, so maybe we'll talk more about hockey in the upcoming weeks. So come on back the next few weeks as we continue previewing the upcoming, hopefully, 
series between the Edmonton Oilers and the Chicago Blackhawks. Stay tuned to secondcityhockey.com where we'll have plenty more content coming up over the next days and weeks as we're getting ready for these games as well. Uh, follow us on Twitter, rate us, subscribe us wherever you find your your podcast. If you want to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, that would be really great. That really would help us out a lot. And uh, I think that'll do it. For Brandon, for Shepard, I'm Dave. Thanks so much for listening. Everybody stay safe. Wear your goddamn masks so we don't have to go back to phase two or phase three or whatever. Do all that and uh, go Hawks. Da, 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 da.